0: Hey friends, Kirill Luke is back once again, which can only mean that it's Azure Cosmos DB time. We're going to hear about integrated cache, serverless capacity, uh, including serverless API for MongoDB accounts, and Azure Managed Instance for Apache Cassandra today on Azure Friday. Hey friends, I'm Scott Hanselman and it's Azure Friday. I'm here with Kirill and when Kirill comes, there's a lot of cool features because we're going to hear about what's new in uh, Azure Cosmos DB. How are you, sir?
1: Oh, really well. Thank you so much for having having me again. Uh, We just released a ton of stuff around build uh, in Cosmos DB and would love to talk more about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a ton of new features. Cosmos DB was one of the stars of build this year. And uh, as we did last time, you brought a parade of friends who are going to show some of these great new features and show live demos.
1: And so I always try to, instead of kind of bringing myself, uh, actually bring people who do those features and build those features <laughs> and then share a lot and really kind of get the voice from the, uh, from the first frontier. Um, exciting stuff. Uh, 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 seriously, we've uh, done a lot of stuff to make Cosmos DB even leaner, more cost-effective, helping developers all the way from uh, doing everything for free uh, with small apps to, to only paying for what you use. Um, exciting lineup. And um, I think we're starting with an integrated cache. This was an idea where, uh, in many applications, you have doing a lot of reads. And if you just do reads directly at the database, all database doesn't know that you're doing them repetitively. So you're paying for each of those reads um, unnecessarily. Um, You can add a cache to it, but now you're dealing with two SDKs and all you were trying to do is save some uh, money. Uh, Might as well ask the database to do it for you. And that's what we're doing.
0: Yeah, let's hear about that because I've got lots of interesting architectural questions because I can think of about 10 different ways to solve this problem and you're going to tell me the best way that will also save me money. Awesome. All right, let's bring in our friend.
1: Hello. Hey Scott. Hey Tim. Hey Carl.
2: Great to be here.
0: All right, Tim. So integrated cache, uh, you know, we're always thinking about RU's. You know, every time you do a query you see your RU charges, you see your latency. You know, I know that there's probably some internal caching at the at the engine of Cosmos, mm. but uh, from an application perspective, I usually just make an in-memory cache of myself, or I get Redis, and then I'm kind of you know moving from one place and putting in another place, and now I have two things to think about.
2: And that's exactly Scott. That's exactly the the, the pain point we're trying to solve here. Um, now, traditionally, if you had a database and you wanted to add on caching later. It's a great option for improving your databases performance, right? It's gonna decrease costs. It's gonna decrease latency. But like Kirill had mentioned earlier, it requires you to use a completely different SDK for your cache, right? You can't have your entire database now behind one API, behind one SDK. You're now gonna have to manage an SDK for your cache and an SDK for your database. And then also handle, I mean, manually populating the cache and validating the cache And just provisioning the cache and things like that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, you know when when I'm thinking about data from a business perspective, I might say I need this in real time, but nobody Mm -hmm. really needs anything in real time. Like real time could be, you know, it's a a minute old, or it could be five seconds old, or it could Mm -hmm. be four hours. And Cosmos doesn't know that, but there's some way we could tell it. That would be really cool.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So what we'll do today is basically take an existing app, which I'm actually just going to go ahead and, and run now. Uh, and within our, our five, 10 minute episode today, basically go and optimize it to leverage the integrated cache. Um, now, our, our big pitch with the feature is that you can do caching without any significant code changes to your app. So, what I have right here uh, is probably the world's simplest Cosmos DB app. It just takes this query right here that um, basically searches a fictional data set for all items that contain uh, the word socks and just runs the query again and again and again. And we go and we print out the latency for the query uh, and the RU charge, and when we stop running it, we'll see uh, the average latency and the average RU charge uh, for the 727 executions of that query. So this is just running the query with Cosmos DB as is, no caching, uh, obviously leveraging things like indexes and our query engine, um, but This is without caching.
0: And when I buy Cosmos DB, when I use the service, um, I'm paying for not a number of RUs, an absolute number, but I'm paying for a number per second, right? Mm -hmm.
2: That's right. When you provision RUs or use serverless, it's basically RUs are per second currency. So each of these queries costs you 48.6 RUs. In a sense, you could kind of translate this to dollars, right? Like it it costs a specific dollar amount each time you run the query.
0: Right. So I can get 400 RU's a second or something like that on Mm -hmm. a really, really basic system, and I could say, yeah, that cost me 0.0001 cents. And in this case, it also cost me 37 milliseconds.
2: It it did right. Um, There's the latency cost, and then like you mentioned, you can really directly translate that into a monetary cost. Okay. Cool. With caching, we want to lower both of these, right? The idea is you you pay once for query execution and then subsequent executions of the same query um, will be free, right? They won't cost you any RUs and they'll have a a lower latency. So what I'm going to go ahead and do now uh, is on my Cosmos DB account, go ahead and provision something called a dedicated gateway. Um, So I'll, I'll toggle this to provision. And our dedicated gateway is basically something that's built into Cosmos DB, it's server-side compute that's going to both route your requests and cache your data. So the integrated cache is built into the dedicated gateway. You can pick from three different dedicated gateway sizes here. And in general, the dedicated gateway size you pick is gonna be mainly influenced by how much data you wanna cache. Um, So here we have our smallest SKU, the D4 SKU, Uh, that has uh, 16 GB of memory. So I'm just going to go ahead and pick that and just pick one instance now since we're just running a simple demo. I'll go ahead and save that to basically uh, go and provision the dedicated gateway. Typically takes about five to 10 minutes or so to provision a dedicated gateway. Uh, Since our our whole episode today is about five to 10 minutes, I'm actually going to switch over to this Cosmos DB account here, uh, where I went ahead and provisioned a dedicated gateway in advance. Uh, of our call together. When you go and provision a dedicated gateway, uh, once the provisioning is complete, you're going to get two new connection strings, basically for your data that you can use for connecting to Cosmos DB through the dedicated gateway. Um, Basically, I'll I'll first show, I guess a a good diagram of how we're going to modify our app to use these new connection strings. And then after we explore conceptually, we'll actually dive into the code and and make all the code changes that we need to do to to leverage caching. So right now our app uses something called direct mode in Cosmos DB, where it connects directly to our backend partitions. So if we run a query, if we ingest data, uh, basically the app, um, the SDK on your app will go and, and talk to all the partitions route requests, aggregate requests and things like that. When we go and use our new connection string, we'll be connecting to the dedicated gateway with gateway mode. And on this dedicated gateway, we have the integrated cache. So the idea here is the dedicated gateway both routes to requests and caches data. And because it routes your requests, if a request can be served exclusively by the dedicated gateway using the integrated cache, we actually don't need to go and execute the query or execute that request using your backend RUs.
0: Interesting. So, in in distributed caching, there's there's read through and write through and cache aside. Which of the how what is used here?
2: Yeah. So, for um, basically, you can cache point reads and queries. Mm-hmm. For point reads, we'll cache data as it's written, and we'll also cache it uh, if you go and basically read it. So, if as you ingest data, it'll automatically be populated in the cache uh, for point reads, and then if you have a cache miss will basically go and cache that data right after you've you've unsuccessfully tried to read it from the cache. For queries, uh, it's only as the read through attribute. So if you uh, run a query and it's not in the cache, uh, following execution of that query we will go ahead and cache it. uh, So you can, uh, for future use, it'll be available in the cache.
0: Cool. And read through, uh, I think as as folks may know, is like a really simple and clean way from a business coding perspective to just get perf you're not going to have to really think about this too much on the as, as the client and the consumer it's just going to get faster and better isn't it
2: yeah that that's the idea I mean you don't have to worry about any custom code any custom logic um, invalidating the cash populating cash it's all very turnkey once you go in and provision it and just connect to it cool um, so that that's the next thing we'll do we'll basically take this concept and now explore it through our, our super simple app that we wrote so I'll go ahead and, and close this window. Now, the very first thing that we need want to do is modify our Cosmos client down here. Uh, and the two things that we'll need to change is our connection string. It'll now need to use the dedicated gateway connection string and our connection mode. Instead of using direct mode, we'll want to use gateway mode. So what I'll do is I'll go back to the portal and I'll grab that dedicated gateway connection string. I'll go back into my app and throw that connection string in place of my old one. And it looks, it's gonna look super similar to my old connection string, um, but it's just slightly different. Your old connection string will still be valid, it'll still work. But if you wanted to leverage the integrated cache, you wanna make sure you use your new connection string.
0: Interesting. So for example, as a maybe uh, maybe I work for a company that has a shopping cart and some pro- properties or some mm-hmm. projects rather. Maybe the consumer will use the gateway and they'll see their cached version, but the administrative back end would go and do in direct mode.
2: Oh, absolutely. That that type of scenario is very common. You might even do something like maybe a a daily data ingestion or something like that. Like going back to your shopping example. Maybe there's just a bulk ingest of data every day at midnight. Um, that could continue to use direct mode for improved performance um, mm-hmm. or bulk ingesting data, right? You could use like our bulk API and things like that for that. Um, but if you wanted to just do caching for the consumer facing portion of your app, you would just use the separate connection string for that. Cool. Next thing we'll do is switch our connection mode to gateway mode. Um, so we were direct before, we'll switch to gateway. and. Right now with the code as is, we're now going to leverage the dedicated gateway. Um, So I I literally just changed two lines. It took me all of 30 seconds to make the changes. Uh, And just like that, now our code is going to leverage the dedicated gateway. Now there's one more thing we'll need to do if we wanted to uh, utilize the cache. The cache right now is eventual consistency only. Down the road, we actually want to support session consistency as well. But right now, Requests must have eventual consistency in order to hit the cache, right, and use our cache data. So here we've specified the uh, consistency level for queries. It's session right now. I'm going to go ahead and switch to eventual consistency for the cache.
0: And for folks that are listening, like there's different consistency models, right? This is a distributed mm-hmm. system, distributed computing, right? You're kind of you're guaranteeing. Uh, that the, the data will be correct but you're doing it in a kind of an informal way like it'll eventually be correct <laughs> plus or minus a couple milliseconds
2: that's exactly right and it's important to highlight that your app your your business case right and your application should be okay with eventual consistency if you want to leverage caching if you were let's say a bank and you uh wanted to store people's uh, bank account de- uh, balances and things like that like that is obviously not a use case for caching, nothing specific to Cosmos DB, the integrated cache, but scenarios that really re- require strong consistency are not really a great fit for caching.
0: Yeah, you definitely have to think about your scenario and think about what you're doing. When I used to work in, in products and stuff, we had something that had an inventory value over 100. We wouldn't worry about it. We'd have lots of caching. And then when inventory got down to like 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, then it was like, well, we could get into an overselled Oversold condition. So we would literally turn caching off for um, items with really, really small uh, amounts in inventory. Just all kinds of ways you can solve whatever problem that you have. But you got to think about it. I'm hearing you say you don't just turn this on and hope for the best.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, consistency is a, is a really important concept to get right. So um, I guess one good thing to bring up, and I'm actually glad you, you brought up um, that, I guess, previous scenario that that you'd use caching for. In a lot of cases, it's not really, it's not like a Boolean thing, like you you might sometimes be okay with a certain level of eventual consistency, but you'd want to basically cap the maximum staleness of your data. And for the integrated cache, we have a setting to do this. It's, we won't actually cover it in detail today, but feel free to read our documentation to learn more about this. It's called the max integrated cache staleness, and basically it's configured at the request level. Uh, and for a request, it's going to be the maximum expect- acceptable staleness, uh, basically, that you you have for that read. So if you set it to five minutes, we'll guarantee that the data for that uh, query or for that point read, if we use the cache, it's not going to be more than five minutes old.
0: See, that's fantastic. And it's scenarios like that where, like I described a scenario and some of the convoluted solutions that we had for it, and you all have thought about a solution that is now just you know a checkbox in Azure or something like that, which is really cool. Yeah.
2: Um, so super simple. Um, so I guess we'll we'll hit the, the fun part and go ahead and rerun the app now with caching. So in total, all I did was make three code changes. I mean, it, it took us about five minutes or so to go through and make the changes in our app to leverage the dedicated gateway and start caching. And now when I run the app, I'm getting these queries, I mean, quite literally for free. The latency has gone down. I'm running the same query again and again, but it's not costing me any RUs. So, if you had an application that ran the same query many times, and of course, I mean, this one that I have here is a little bit of an extreme case. Like most applications don't just run one query hundreds of times, um, but many do repeat queries sometimes. Um, And if your application does repeat queries and you're okay with eventual consistency, the integrated cache could help you save a ton of money on your. Your Cosmos DB costs uh, because it will, will quite literally make queries from the RU perspective free.
0: Fantastic. I dig it. So people can check this out now. Is this in preview or is this available for folks to look at immediately?
2: Yeah, great point. It's in public preview right now. Um, so if you I mean want to try it out, it's available for you to do so. Um, right now it's available for SQL API only, but you can use it on any Cosmos DB account, whether it's a new or existing account.
0: Very cool, and as we saw, it's not going to affect what's already going on with the connection strings that you have. It's going to make a different connection string because it is a gateway, uh, so that's certainly something that you could try out immediately today after this show and staging and maybe put that uh, put that on your application. Thanks so much for uh, for sharing that. Absolutely. All right, we'll bring Kareel back. That's pretty cool, man. You know, I like things that save me money and save me time and you just did both right there. So nicely done, sir.
1: That has been pretty much our focus for the last year, as you may have noticed. Um, and uh, I'm really excited about this one. Again, this is not an application cache. It's not like don't use Redis, use this. Uh, there are cache, caches that exist there for a reason. This is a database cache to save you cost when you interact with Cosmos DB and your scenario fits the pattern. And majority do. Like if you look at retail, 90% are reads, right, uh, in retail. and uh, Imagine how much money you can you can save by leveraging uh, leveraging integrated caching for those scenarios. Um, lots of stuff. It's also kind it, it takes it it inherits all the capabilities of Cosmos DB, so you you'll get global distribution, uh, a lot of other cool stuff. Uh, once this goes generally available, and of course, it will be available for all APIs over time. Uh, we started with SQL API. For the next feature, we'll start with Mongo.
0: Very cool, and then one of the big things that everyone's been talking about is serverless as it relates to Cosmos, and next we're going to see Cosmos DB API for Mongo, which you know I'm a big fan of, Uh, but the serverless capacity for that is gone GA. Is that correct?
1: That's right. Uh, Serverless is now available in generally available for all APIs. Um, Use it in production. Uh, It's fantastic uh, way to only pay for what you use literally. Uh, and not pay anything if you go for the week. Uh, go for the weekend. Um, uh, great for uh, sudden burst of, bursting applications. Um, uh, and uh, let's hear from the people who actually build it. Uh, let's hear from Gal. Hey
0: everyone! Thanks for the intro. All right, Gal, you've got some shoes to fill. Let's show me some cool stuff here. This is great. So, serverless capacity is GA.
3: Yeah, so we have, you know, provision and autoscale, and now we have serverless, which is now GA on all APIs, including the API for MongoDB. And this really came from the customer feedback where some customers wanted to pay only for the RUs that they actually use, because some of these applications were just left idle. And why pay for the database when you're actually using it?
0: Yep, I've got a, a scenario where I have a little tiny bit of kind of constant traffic, and then every once in a while I have like my quarterly reports. And in the past, really, really small Cosmos DBs had no problem handling that background process, but then I would burst and it would be like, well, I'm not ready for you. And serverless would, would solve that for me.
3: Yeah, and as a cloud native database, it's very easy for us to actually architect this or make sense for users and for us where when your database is not being used, you don't actually have to pay for it, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, in this example, I wanted to show how we can actually go and create an API for MongoDB serverless
0: database. Okay, so which API best suits your workload? Okay, all those choices. Exactly
3: this highlights the new uh, API forward kind of uh, intro that we have where you can find out which API is best for your workload, decide on which API you want, and then create an account with that API. So in this case, use the API from MongoDB. Cool, so let me just go to the create button here. You just fill out all of the details that you want, so fill out mine here. Enter an account name. Select the the region, and then the important part here is you have to select serverless, which will apply for your entire database account. We can keep the version 4.0. We support three different versions here. And press review and create. Then the create button. And this will take about a couple of minutes to deploy, but we can actually just go into an account that's already ready. We can see here in the new insights tab, which shows you, you know, a very direct kind of metrics that apply to your API. We can see that this is a very good use case here with, with this app here for serverless because there's uh, you know, bursts of workload and then a lot of time with empty space where nothing is actually being used in the database itself. So you're actually saving money because you're just paying for the RUs that you're actually using.
0: I like that. Yeah,
3: so just to sum up for applications that require the database once in a while, for applications that are for development or to test workloads, serverless is a great option for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like like uh, Kirill was saying, you know, if you're gone on the weekend, you don't want to be paying for the weekend. Exactly. So that is uh, GA now, which means that people who have been in preview are going to be switched automatically to GA, and folks that are watching right now and want this feature can sign up immediately today.
1: Yeah. It's the um, where we're going with this is for any any workload that uh, has an average ratio um, peak to average exceeding roughly ten factor. Uh, you, um, you want to use serverless. Any workloads that you want you you occasionally use, you want to use serverless. Any kind of dev tests uh, setups that you have uh, that you don't want to run over the weekend, you want to use serverless. Um, But it's not just dev test. it's like lots of production apps that are very important, mission critical, but just have very burstable traffic, and serverless is great for that.
0: So is that the decision point? Is it that idea that I have burstable traffic? Because one could argue that everyone has burstable traffic. So what's the real decision point for me to decide if I want to go in production for serverless versus dedicated?
1: Pick your peak throughput, your average throughput, and divide divide one by the other. If the peak-to-average exceeds ten x, service uh, is the best.
0: Got it. That that ten x. So an order of magnitude is your what, what you think of as being a real burst.
1: Yes. But if uh, you're but just that, going
0: fifty percent, hundred percent, fifty percent, you're just kind of like having this nice sine wave of doing stuff. That's one thing. But if it's uh, if it's Black Friday every few hours, that's a burstable situation.
1: Exactly, and and like it's it's. Um, in the end and that's the important part that there is no other efficient dif- difference right you can, it's the same database it's really just how do you want to pay for your database um, and I don't want to pay when I don't use it so use serverless but if you but if it's something that you know runs Walmart shopping cart uh, chances are it runs always and it's a high traffic always. Then obviously the uh, and your, your auto scale with provisions throughput settings will be your best friend.
0: Very cool. So already here in this episode we have seen saving money, turning RU numbers down to zero. Now we're learning about another other ways to save money and time with with uh, uh, with with these serverless instances. Uh, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool, sir.
1: It's also I think it's the only data serverless MongoDB database service right now as far as I know. Um, which is a something cool to be said.
0: Yeah, Cosmos is offering all kinds of things that people are not that other people don't have. So what's my what's our our last and final? Uh, cool feature that nobody else has.
1: OK. Uh, so the next is uh, we have. We've been always uh, looking for popular NoSQL APIs, right? And Apache Cassandra is a very popular NoSQL technology, mm-hmm. and uh, would love to bring CEO um, over to us uh, to talk about manage Instance for Apache Cassandra. This is kind of a way to bring help you bring your Cassandra workload as is as gradually as possible to Azure without making any changes to your application without actually even moving necessarily. You just you can extend your existing Cassandra cluster to Azure Cosmos uh, to uh, with uh, Managed Instance for Apache Cassandra. Theo, take it away. Hey, Hi. Hello, sir. Hey. So on, if,
0: if, I were on uh, if I were running my own open source, you know, pure open source Apache Cassandra today and I was doing it myself, would I roll it my own? I'd basically make a bunch of VMs and just kind of manage that whole thing myself. It sounds kind of like a hassle.
4: Yeah, it is a hassle. And and uh, what we found is that um, customers uh, who are looking to have that hassle taken away, that they're, they're, they're kind of steps along the journey that they that they want to be able to take. Uh, so, of, of course, we think Cassandra API is great, and obviously it's fully managed and everything, um, but not every customer is ready to make that complete jump to a pure PaaS uh, service. There's certain concepts like request units or the way we do replication and partitioning and so on. Maybe they're just not quite ready to make that jump straight away. And so having another step on the ladder, if you like, uh, is appealing and this is what we, we've, uh, we've come up with.
0: So I understand that, you know, and, and hopefully folks that have watched the show before and have familiarized themselves with Cosmos TV understand is that there's the wire protocol, there's that API where like I talk Gremlin, I talk Apache, I talk Mongo. And then the back end store is Cosmos DB. And that's that's amazing. And it's basically a translation layer as you move down there. But pure uh, running pure open source Apache Cassandra, you know, has some benefits as well. And like you said, it's a step along the path. Yeah. So this is not dependent on that backend Cosmos DB. It is really Cassandra. Yeah, no,
4: yeah, to be completely clear, it's not dependent in any way at all uh, on Cosmos DB. Uh, it's built by the Cosmos DB team. Obviously, we think we know something about um, distributed uh, databases, uh, but it's not in any way dependent on the on the Cosmos DB backend. It's Pure open source uh, Apache Cassandra, and we have um, some deployment and scaling and maintenance operations. And outside of that, it's it's the the Cassandra that uh, you know and love. Interesting.
0: It thinks it makes me think about the analogy that I've used in the past, where it's like you know, I'm interested in a vehicle. I could do a manual shift. I could do an automatic shift, or I could just get an Uber or a Lyft, and this seems like this is the automatic shift option right before I've decided whether I want to go for a completely managed vehicle that I don't even think about the maintenance of. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great analogy. All right, fantastic. Let's see it.
4: OK, so uh, let me start with doing something really simple, so I'm going to create a cluster from the uh, from the portal. First of all, I'm going to look for any Azure managed instance for Apache Cassandra. And there we go and just hit create. All looking very familiar so far. So I'm just gonna enter a, a, a cluster name. Um, we only have one uh, SKU right now. This is a public preview service, but we'll have plenty more SKUs uh, in the future. I'm just gonna go for, Let's go for East US and I'm going to put in a password here. That's my default password for the cluster. Uh, I'm just going to go with the default three nodes for now.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, and then the um, the only other thing I need to do is um, I have to choose a, a VNet or create a new VNet uh, to deploy that into. So all uh, managed Cassandra clusters are uh, deployed, uh, injected into uh, VNet. So I'm just going to find my uh, VNet that I created earlier here.
0: I'm just thinking about how easy this is compared to setting up my own from scratch. Hopefully it's pretty easy. Well, anytime that you've got, uh, you know, some open source software that uh, that runs on a virtual machine you start. First, you gotta think about the virtual machine. You got to think about the networking uh, and here all of that's I mean, you didn't think about any of that stuff other than like I picked that subnet that virtual network and it's handled and while I'm talking it's being deployed I just find yep. that amazing I remember back in the day when the boss would say can you go and deploy this and then they would just go home and I would spend the weekend you know deploying and that was the cloud and now it's this which is amazing
4: yeah exactly that's that's exactly the goal we want to take away all of the painful stuff the stuff that you don't really want to be bothered with uh away and just uh keep it simple in terms of uh uh, the application side of things.
0: All right. So this one is already deployed, right?
4: Yeah, I'm just going to go and find a um, a resource that I've already uh, deployed here. So this is a, a VNet that I created earlier, because that one's going to still deploy for a while. So I don't want to uh, keep us waiting for too long. Mm-hmm. And what I'm going to do in here, inside this one here, so you can see here, I've already got. Um, How many nodes have we got? Hey, we've got five nodes in this cluster. And so uh, just by doing a a simple um, CLI command here, I'm just gonna scale this up to seven nodes. This is not something that Cassandra does out of the box. Uh, You have to install software and you have to go through a careful orchestration of making that node come up properly uh, within your Cassandra ring, but we've we've automated this. So you can just do this with just one simple command. And then as that's running, it's gonna create more nodes in, in the cluster.
0: Interesting. I've not I've not I know I know that the uh the command line exists and I use it, but I've not seen a lot of people use it at the same time. You know, it's like some things it's easier to click and some things it's easier just to type the command and I think it's cool the way you're using that. And then That's just good. getting refreshed, like like you're yeah. you're doing a thing in the command line and you're watching it be reflected in the portal.
4: Yeah, exactly. Anything for a, a better demo.
0: <laughs> well, I, I think still that would be a useful thing for anyone to know how to do. It's a reminder to me that those things exist. Yeah. So while that's
4: uh, scaling up, it sh- should be probably uh, done in a minute. There again, I'm going to um, just cover something else here um, that we want to talk about. So, really, which is really live migrations, which can be a big challenge for for customers, especially if they've got really big. Um, on-premises workloads, let's say, and they want to try and move this into the cloud. Uh-huh. If it wasn't difficult enough as it was uh, adapting to uh, you know, completely managed service, uh, then they have to move all of their data there. So what we suggest is that where possible, uh, customers should just use Cassandra's native capability uh, to migrate their data. And One of the cool things about uh, managed instance is that it allows you to create a hybrid cluster. So what that means is Uh, you set up a cluster, you give it the cluster name that's uh, identical to your existing, let's say, on-premises cluster, and as long as you have network connectivity and you install uh, managed instances uh, certificates and gossip certificates in your cluster, then you can configure uh, a hybrid cluster, which means effectively um, the data center that you deploy in managed instance is an extension of your existing cluster. And Then Cassandra will just do its thing, it will replicate data uh, across your cluster, and it will be pretty pretty seamless in that sense. So that's a, a one of the cool features. But if you're not able to do that, if, if um, uh, let's say um, uh, the version of Cassandra that you're running is not um, uh, conducive to that, or maybe it's too old or too far apart from the versions that we support, or maybe uh, for other reasons, uh, uh, hybrid uh, uh, clusters aren't allowed, there's this technique that uh, Cassandra, Um, admins tend to use uh, which is referred to as uh, using dual rights Uh, so if you imagine a timeline like this uh, where you're writing to the old database and you wanted to do a a live migration obviously you'd start by migrating the schema first you can do that in an offline fashion at some point then you would switch to uh, your app writing data to both source and target and obviously uh, you want to make sure that uh, the rights to target and um, asynchronous if you want to keep uh, performance in line as, as things are live running, especially if you have a, a, a big uh, migration to do. and Then at some point after that, you'll bulk, bulk migrate historic data and then you'll probably have, um, at that point, uh, everything should be in sync and then you'll have a validation process and then you should be ready to cut over. Um, so What we've developed to make that a bit simple, and this is a completely open-source uh, tool that you can download and in- install, uh, is what we call a dual-write proxy. Uh, so, what you do with this is you install this on all of the nodes in your uh, cluster, uh, and then that's running on a different port. And then you, all you need to do is change your application to point to that port, and the proxy will route all requests to your um, running cluster and then forward uh, all of the writes that happen to your target cluster asynchronously. And you don't need to change anything in your application code to do that. And if you want to, you can even change. Uh, the the port that the proxy is running on to be the standard Cassandra port and then you don't need to make any application changes. Of course, if you did that, you'd have to change the uh, Cassandra port to be something else because it had to run on a a different port.
0: Interesting. It's just like adding another person to the party line. You know, you're having a conversation between you and I and then a third person just pops in and they'll just transcribe everything and we'll make sure we have copies in two places. And uh, I'll go from a two-person call to a three-person call and then back down to a two-person call, swapping out transparently.
4: Yeah, exactly. So it's like a middle layer, and it just should make uh, everything easier on the app side. So what I have here, I'm just uh, um, uh, logged into a VM here. Um, we had a we had the world's uh, simplest uh, Cosmos DB app before. I think this is probably the world's simplest uh, Cassandra app that I have here. All it's doing is just inserting some uh, rows into a table. So I've just got a Cassandra shell on the left here that's uh, showing my source uh, cluster that I want to migrate from, and I've got another shell open here. Um, that is connected to my managed instance cluster that I want to migrate to. So If I go back to my app here, let's just run it once. We can look at the, the uh, config stuff here. It's just pretty standard. Uh, I'm running on the standard port, so let me just run this uh, once. and We'll see what happens. So it's a pretty simple app and it should have inserted some data. If I go and query this guy here, Uh,
0: I should see some data in here. Got hit enter again. I think it was in select mode. Yep. (laughs) Rookie error. But of
4: course, if I go to my uh, target cluster, uh, there's nothing there. And at this point, if I was taking this uh, kind of approach, which is pretty popular of doing dual rights, of course, I'd have to be changing my app code. And if that's really complicated and it's in lots of different places, especially if I wanna make it asynchronous going to my target, that can be something that would put people off. Um, so let me just zero out the data back in here. Uh, and we'll start this again. If I go to back to my app here, all I need to do, um, and by the way, I should I should say, I've got a a cluster running here already um, and I've got the uh, proxy installed on every node on that cluster. It's running on a different port on 29042. Okay. So if I go back to my app and just zero this out, uh, go back to my config files, what do I need to do? Well, I just need to change the port number, that's it. Um, and then if I run this app again, Go back to my proxy, I should see some activity here. And there we go, it's making connections to both source and target. It's routing that data, uh, those requests, I should say, uh, to the source, and then it's writing the rights to the target as well. So if I go back here, I should find now I've got data in here and I've got data I should have, hopefully, if everything goes well, the data in my target table as well. And that's it, it's really as simple as that. Uh, makes it very easy uh, for taking this type of approach um, if you've got, um, uh, you know, lots of application code to change, you don't want to um, uh, risk uh, have a, the risks of doing that.
0: Very cool! Write into two places at once. The dual write proxy, the very clever way to do live migrations, and all open source, available on yep. GitHub.
4: Yeah, completely open source, and obviously the service is still in preview, uh, and uh, the uh, proxy um, is is out there. So you know, we welcome contributions. It's open source, so uh, get out there and try it.
0: Brilliant stuff. Thank you, Theo. Appreciate that. No problem. All right, Kirill. We had a parade of awesome today. All kinds of things from and by the Cosmos DB team. We saw the integrated cache saving money. We saw the serverless capacity now GA for Mongo, which is going to be great, saving time, money, and shutting things down when they don't need to run. And then just now we see the Azure managed instance for Apache Cassandra. Nice place on the path towards maybe using the. Cassandra managed API on Cosmos TV.
1: Are They all about finding meeting developers where they are. If they, Very don't, cool. if they don't want to pay, pay money, uh, you don't have to pay money. If you want to run Cassandra, not quite in this uh, Uber mode, but in a automatic shift mode as you well put it, um, that's where we are. And Then uh, the fact that you can now run Cassandra hybrid, where some of it runs on-premise, some of it runs on managed instance for Apache Cassandra. The fact that you can run it serverless using Cosmos DB Cassandra API and all of these things can be connected together seamlessly for your application. Um, That's a nirvana for Cassandra developer. This is full spectrum meeting you wherever you want to be.
0: Well, fantastic. Well, please do thank your friends and engineers for sharing these cool things. I always love it when you bring really awesome live demos. And uh, hopefully, we'll see you again soon on Azure Friday with some great new stuff with Azure Cosmos DB. And for folks that are watching, all of the links to everything that we talked about in the docs will be in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. All right. Thank We're having so all much. kinds of fun learning about Azure Cosmos DB and the great services and features today on Azure Friday. Hey, thanks for watching this episode of Azure Friday. Now I need you to like it, comment on it, tell your friends, retweet it, watch more Azure Friday.